Waitman over his head. Cody Waitman's kicked a miracle goal. Looking for Vandermeer. He can go all the way. Straight man to hit the front. For 10 goals, they call him Bruce. Bruce. Can score towards goal. Bailey Smith as he got the dots in on the final. Bontempelli to seal the game. He's got it. Welcome to the Salty Bulldog, the podcast that after this episode has the next few weeks sorted out, putting its feet up and relaxing after one hectic trade period. My name is Matthew Donald, the regular host of the Salty Bulldog. I've got alongside me the accountant, the man with all the numbers, Nick Galea. Nick, welcome to the program. Hello there, Matthew. Hello to everyone out there, of course, uh, fans of the Salty Bulldog and fans, of course, of the Western Bulldogs Football Club. We very much enjoy what is going on and what we're thinking is yes there's a fair bit to to unpack over that special last you know hour and a half within the trade period wasn't it yeah it was i was very much like 2020 wasn't it to an extent yeah it was that is well last year's trade period was or deadline was just depressing because nothing actually happened but this time there was a a marquee recruit tim o'brien yes Oh, but not just us, but just in general, nothing was happening in the on, on deadline day. We got to 7.30 and we knew nothing was actually going to happen and 7.30 came and went and nothing happened. But this time mm, around, there no were sightings. a lot of deals up in the air heading into the last hour, hour and a half. So to see them all sort of fall over one by one at the end was was pretty exciting to, to be a part of. And certainly from a Bulldogs persuasion, there was a lot taking place. So there is a lot to unpack. Uh, which which we're going to get to. I just want to say firstly to um to everyone who sort of followed and interacted with the Salty Ball during the trade period, thank you. Uh, it's not always easy to keep up to date with every little bit of information that's being thrown around. But uh, we do try our best uh, to, to keep up with it all and to keep you up to date with it. Also, to all those who, who got involved and to follow and the, the accountant who... Uh, Commented and uh, provided a great deal of uh, of talking points and and uh, and such among Bulldog fans. It, it was great to see that that dialogue going across the going across the place. Um, so thank you for for everyone who engaged with the account over the past few weeks because there was a lot to get through. And we may as well get stuck into it now. So Nick, what I'm going to do, I'm going to run through the the trades that have actually taken place that that have involved the Bulldogs here. So yeah, uh, just are we giving grading on. games, are we? Uh, do you want to give grading games? I think we can do that in terms of uh, what do we give, you know, A, B, C, D, E, and F. Stick with that. So you wanted to do this for each individual trade or you wanted I to do this? I reckon so. I reckon so. For okay. The, how many trades were we involved in? So I'm just going to get up here. I think it was four trades all up. Four player trades, yep. Yep. So... Let's go with it here. So they all took place on deadline day. So the Bulldogs, I think, were one of two clubs. I think Sydney was the only other one who heading into the final day had not actually done any trading at all. So there was a lot to a lot of ground to make up on that last day. So the first one uh, was Josh Shackey going to Melbourne uh, in exchange for a future fourth round selection. Uh, so a member of the the twenty twenty one Grand Final side joined us from Brisbane in the last thirty seconds of the two thousand and seventeen trade period. Uh, Shaki forty at that time. Yeah, so Shaki was out of contract. We knew that, that there was a bit going on. Went all over the place three <laughs> years ago, didn't it? 
think so. Just, yeah, I, I can't remember. From us what... and Essendon, and then a Carlton, I think it was as well, or forty at least was. That was a strange little uh, trade period. That one. What would you give that one then, Shacky, for for a future four? They're out of contract, Shacky. Yes, we. I know people and myself and I've caught. Uh, sorry, myself and yourself, Matt, are big fans of of Josh Shacky. Um, what did he do? Forty-five goals and seventeen games in the VFL. We've seen him at AFL level produce displays of talent. The bag of four against Hawthorne, a couple of goals in some other matches that he's kicked. The prelim final last year, the elimination final where he steadied up, as well as even that round 19 encounter against the D's when he was a defender last season as well. And you wonder why he never was able to properly put it all together. The thing is, we can probably speculate and wonder why wouldn't we have gotten a better deal. You know, forget the out-of-contract status or not. The thing is, factor in this, if he was contract for, say, another year, just hypothetically, what realistically could you have accepted for him? What would realistically he have been worth in that sense? So say if, he was see, out of, if he was out of contract next year as opposed to this year? Potentially. Just stating. what if Because next year would make him a restricted free. If he or not restricted, sorry. Would have made him an unrestricted uh, free agent because he wouldn't have been in our top uh, 25% paid players and he would have served eight seasons of football. So he would be free to technically walk in that sense. And... I highly doubt clubs would have been, for next year anyways, offering him a massive payday or a, you know, a fair draft pick in the sense um, of anything more than a third rounder, I'd say. So I'm just wondering that fourth round pick was probably more of a goodwill gesture perhaps for him. And the fact is, he's been in the system for seven years and he still hasn't exactly... Another, not that we haven't um, given him the opportunities in previous seasons, but especially the last three years, we haven't, unfortunately, there, haven't we? What is it, 18 out of 67 matches you mentioned? Yeah, so the last 67 matches we've played, uh, he's been named in 18 of them. Which is never really more than never more than five in a row. Mm. It is interesting because he was good enough to play in our final series last year. Admittedly, of course, Bruce was injured, but the point is, though, they still tried to find a place for Shaky down back. And then eventually up forward again. And I know, look, I think it's not that our hands were tied in this deal. Um, I was hoping personally we would try to to combine Shaggy and the Hunter deals together to work something out in that sense. But not not to be. Um, look, I think for the way the deal shaped out from what we got and in terms of the, the career that he had with us, I think I can only give this possibly as a, as a C. I'm not, see, I'm not so at the time I was really disappointed because I've always been a huge fan of Shaggy. And I know he he's one he's one that divides opinion and every club's gonna have at least a few of those. Polarizes. Yeah, you know, there's no doubt he splits opinion. I, I would have thought um that for, for everything that you mentioned that he's done this year and that he's done in the last few years, that he'd be worth more than a, a future fourth round pick. Yeah, I would be stating a third. At least I would have hoped for a third in that sense. Yeah, I, I was sort of, yeah, I would have been thinking at least a third. I was talking to someone last night who said maybe even a second at the absolute most. I, I would have thought that probably would have been a stretch for an out-of-contract player. That's, that's, that would be a massive stretch for, yeah. what's he played? 60 games or something like that? Maybe 70 games? I don't know how many games he's played, Shaky, uh, give or take. Um, hasn't played a lot with us, though, in recent years, of course. 
that's seventy-two that would, games. I think a second would be seventy-two games. Yeah, a second would definitely uh, have been pushing it. And I'll tell you, if you were, if we were on the spectrum of trying to recruit him, if he was in the VFL at another club uh, and doing what he was doing, which was you know playing good level of football in the VFL, I tell you, I would have been absolutely filthy if we would have handed over a second round selection for him, yeah. considering he wouldn't have been playing a lot and there wasn't a great deal of consistency in his game, in the AFL scheme of things, after seven years. It doesn't mean we don't rate him, but you've got to be, you know, you've got to call a spade a spade in that sense. So, and I suppose that's a different argument to whether he should have been playing as well. See, I'm I'm a fan. I I subscribe to the theory that he was underused when when he was at the Bulldogs, and I'm and unfairly underused. I mean, we've we've played two thirds of the season without Josh Bruce. Someone was asking me who who should he have replaced in the twenty two this year, uh, the other day, and I, I said, well, he, he we played two thirds of the season with Aaron Norton just being the sole key forward. And I would have thought that they would have at least given him someone just to just to help spread the load a little bit. But Shaki was there in the in the VFL constantly, and they and they didn't call upon him. They didn't call upon Jamar for for large points either. To be fair. But I thought they could have brought in someone to help out Norton because we saw towards the end of the year that Norton was just burnt out. And I, I think it was yeah, it was ideally the, that would have been that would have been the way to go, Matt. That would yeah, have been the way to go. I think it was the first Fremantle game where that that occurred to me, where I looked at Norton and I went, "Oh, you know what? He just looks he just looks buggered." But you know, we we sort of but if that 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 that's one point. I suppose the other point is what's he worth in terms of a trade. I think he's worth more than a fourth. However, if a fourth is the best value that you could have got for him, I would have preferred mm. just giving him an extra year and potentially losing him next year for nothing. Personally, but yeah, I think you've got to focus on the fact that a lot of clubs were probably considering that they were looking to pick him up as a delisted free agent. So in that context, getting him for something, in this case, it's not much, but getting him for something or, or anything, um, was our best bet, which I can I can I'm I can not... understand I can understand. But if if we if there was an option to keep if the option was let him go now for a future fourth, or keep him next year, keep him for next year, you lose him for nothing next year. I think I would have preferred the latter. I, I just think I, I just think he's got I think he's got enough to offer. But then you've got a way out. There's a there's a lot of tools coming through. They knew they were bringing in. Uh, they knew they were bringing in Rory Lobb, who we'll get to a little later. That's um, that's what I'm thinking there too. On a club sense, it might have made sense to have retained him for another season. But on a personal note for Shaki and in terms of goodwill, the club did the right thing by him in that sense to say, no fuss, you know, you're going to be further down the pecking order in that sense. There's Lobb, there's Jamara, there's Darcy, there's still Bruce, there's Norton. We can throw a couple of other prospects. Who knows? We might draft a key position player in our, um, you know, in, in our draft selections. No doubt. You know, even if we were to play him down back, we've still got now Keith. We've got Jones. We've got Gardner. We probably still could have kept Shaki, perhaps as another, you know, backup intercepting defender. But again, well, we it comes th- down to that goodwill gesture. I think we theorized last. Well, we theorized last week that if he was going to stay, it was going to be as a defender rather Indeed. than as a forward. Yeah. But yeah, we're still saying Cordy leave because he saw the writing on the wall with with the arrival of Jones. 
I mean, I, I suspect three years for him is something you can't begrudge in that sense for him. I suspect honest. that Sam Darcy will play in the back line next year anyway. So you can sort of take Darcy out of that forward line mix and put him down back if you want. Before Darcy moves up into the forward half of the ground, probably within two seasons, right in time, or three seasons, right in time for when uh, Rory Lobb uh, uh, potentially will be going on the on, on the downward uh, level of form. We'll get, to, we'll get to some of those those uh, those names a little later on. The next trade also involved Melbourne. Uh, so Lockie Hunter, another premiership bulldog, leaves the club. He's gone to Melbourne in exchange for a future third-round selection. Look, on face value, this one looks awful because uh, we know how good a player Lockie Hunter is, but we've seen a significant decline in Hunter over the past couple of years. Um, and he's a contractor player. I think he still had two years to run on a, on a reasonably Correct. lucrative deal. Relatively, it would have seen him still... When did he first play with us? 20... 2013, he made his debut. Jeez. So that would make him... Let's have a look. 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24. That would have left him with 13 years of service, provided he, um, of course, had remained uh, for the remainder of that contract. But... That would have put him, of course, again, as an unrestricted free agent in that sense. But well, then again, they might have they might have changed the rules within the next year or two, probably, which is very likely. But it would have allowed him to to be able to leave after ten years of service. You are generally free to uh, to go as you please. Well, I so, think the Bulldogs and, and Hunter had come to an agreement that you know a, a fresh start might be hmm. beneficial, and if there was an interested party. Uh, they'd look to, to facilitate a deal. And I think it's sort of similar to the and Shaggy one, that, that the correct. dogs weren't going to... If there was a club that came calling, the, the Bulldogs weren't going to put up too much of a fight, which is why you've seen no, a, a contractor just, play mm, go for a future third. Yeah. I still would have ideally liked to have seen both those two paired up for a trade, if they, in, in this case, there, to see what we can do. Um, now, of course, in a different sense, we know that uh, uh, look, we are going to be paying a little bit of the, the salary, of course, for Hunter. Um, and we've got to think of that positives in that sense that the Ds are taking on the, the remainder of the next two years as well. So that does free up a little bit of space for us. Not a great deal, but, you know, any bit in this day and age, after we've seen, you know, the likes of salary dumps being used across the trade period with the Gold Coast Suns or what the Giants used to do for what they used to use the Carlton Football Club in that sense. to or what Collingwood are doing now. Certain, yeah, or what Collingwood are doing now as well. And look, that extra... You know, 30, 40, potentially 50% cap space that's been freed up on our accord either allows further front loading of deals or for further, you know, potential spacing out different deals across free up cap for possibly, you know, the 2024 season where we've got a fair few names coming out of contract there. Of course, some big, big names. Um, Norton, of course, English, Ailey Smith as well, then. And then, of course, we've got. Um, Jamara as well in that tier too. So uh, a little bit to focus on for the great man, Sam Power, who we will, I'd say we should be discussing a little bit later too. Well, uh, uh, grades are great. Uh, considering we've got to get them off the books, the club seem to, and the players seem to be in, in unison as well and mutual benefit. For Hunter, I can't probably say anything worse than a, than a B plus. It just seemed to be things had uh, broken down and it's just best for everyone to sort that out. I think if you had asked me at the time, and I still sort of believe it, I, I, 
I think that the two high profile deals, and we'll get to those shortly, I think we actually did reasonably well out of. It was the it was the lesser trades yeah. that I was that I was a bit more disappointed in that I, I thought we could have got a bit more than a future third and a, and a future fourth for Hunter and, and Shacky respectively. What I will say in in respect to what you alluded to in terms of packaging them both together and seeing what we could get out of that. Sometimes it's really difficult to to package two players into the same trade and then arrange a deal that seems fair. Like the the Richmond and Giants uh, dealings with with uh, Hopper and Taranto, as an example, they could have been they could have been packaged together. And I think a lot of people at the start of trade period were seeing them down, and and it was Hopper and Taranto four was the trade hypothetical, and, and then from there people would try and chuck in all sorts of picks and and future selections to try and arrange a deal. It was just so complex and complicated, and I don't think anyone could come to an agreement on, on what seemed fair. So just to make life easier, I think the Tigers and the Giants just say, right, let's just do them in separate deals. And I think in the end, I think then yeah, that was the right decision. But uh, yeah, it, it, it's, not as, it's not always as easy as people think just to include two players in the one deal. So would you have accepted Hunter and Shaki in exchange for a future third and a future fourth, just as a trade on its own? I ideally would have been hoping to get I would have tried to push them perhaps for two thirds in that sense. That's again, you can only do too much, especially because people tend to think that like a lot of these things are kept secrets, like much like the stringer news. Like people say that we might have shot ourselves in the foot for the stringer um dealings a couple of years ago. And look, no doubt we contributed to that, but everyone in Clubland generally knows what the heck's going on. And the very case that's uh, of all the clubs being interested um, in Lockie Hunter, it was only one team. Yeah, yeah. There are sixteen other sides that wouldn't uh, wouldn't have even uh, speculated or offered us a bar of soap to consider it. So, as I said, it's one of those ones where you just take what you are able to get. And I think, from as I said, we've got a more focus on the idea of the salary aspect more so than the trade assets that we have. Yeah, I, th- I think that I think that's I think that's fair. Uh, yeah, look, it's it. I think as I've as the days have gone, I think I've been a bit more okay with with this one. I think if if both parties feel like a move needs to be orchestrated, I think that's a, that's a it's a good sign that getting a trade done is in itself a win. It it does suck because of course he is the best and fairest. It was by one vote, but the point is that year was pretty much Hunter and McRae for the whole thing. And we know that it's, you know, father, son. No one likes to see these things happen. No. But look, if things are untenable, then you know, it's what it is. No matter how good these players are, we've seen it with other footballers across from other clubs where, you know, relationships break down within within the playing group and then it just fractures it. And then it just uh, you know, no matter how good they are, it's not gonna it's not gonna work. Uh, well, from from one Premiership player to another, Nick. Now we're going to get into the the big the big name trades, the big name moves. So, uh, yes, this, this is one that one. Uh, yes. this is one that had been going around for a while. Uh, Josh Dunkley to Brisbane. So obviously, we know all about Dunkley's history. He wanted to go to Essendon. He wanted to go to Port Adelaide. Now he wanted to go to Brisbane. End up getting the the deal done in the very last moments of the trade period, and the, and the trade itself is a little complex. So just bear with me, ladies and gentlemen, and I'm sure we'll be able to to make it as clear as possible for you. Because yeah, it, it's it is difficult to get your head around, even if you are a big fan of 
futures and players and pick swaps going all over the place. So Josh Dunkley, a future third round pick, the Bulldogs future third round pick, and the future fourth round pick that we received from Melbourne in the Josh Shackey deal. So that future fourth is tied to Melbourne. Went to the Lions in exchange for pick 21, Brisbane's future first, Brisbane's future second, and a future fourth round pick that's tied to Geelong. So those those uh, future fourth round picks are not tied to the, the two clubs organizing the trade. So the pick that we received for Shaki, uh, our future third, and Josh Dunkley went to Brisbane, Geelong's future fourth, Brisbane's future second, Brisbane's future first, and this is pick 21 coming out late. So that, that makes sense. I hope that makes sense. Clear as mud. Uh, no, <laughs> there we go. Hopefully everyone else has uh, jumped onto that. Um, of course, we originally wanted pick 15 and uh, a future first in the you know the start of trade negotiations. And we were promptly offered uh, those two selections for Dunkley 30 and 39 and I think a future third as well. So um, of what the deal started off with, I'd say we did okay. But then again, you know, you can't always state that you win these deals. Like, if you were offered that, forget forget the idea of Dunkley, you know, going and whatnot. Let's say, again, he was in contract because people will keep saying, oh, we should have taken the Essen deal two, years, two seasons ago. And, of course, people probably forget the fact that uh, we had to allocate points for Jamara. And the idea was then we could still get Jamara even by keeping Dunkley anyhow. So Which we were still bringing Trelaw anyways. Exactly. So it doesn't really make a difference there. Same thing too, people saying um, for for Darcy last year too, well, why didn't we consider it? Well, that's because you know we didn't want to lose Dunkley and Dunkley wasn't requesting a trade. So there's no, <laughs> uh, there's no need to discuss um, yes. the idea of us shipping him off last year. Yeah. Which is, which is perplexing to say the least. I don't know why people bring that up. Are you content with the deal that has been struck at this very so, point in time? It'll never, ever feel like a win because you we're still losing a very good player, a player that we didn't want to lose. Uh, and and, and the prime clearly one of our... Career. Yeah, clearly one of the best players at the club. However, I think we've done pretty well out of this. Like, I think I think Sam Powell was absolutely... We've spoken about this numerous times. I think Sam Powell was absolutely right to reject the first sort of official deal that Brisbane put forward, which was uh, 15 and a future first for... Dunkley, uh, 30, 30 39, and a future third or something third. like that. That's We're absolutely shocking. right to, in, to in reject a, that deal. Um, in I a think, general sense, how how can even Brisbane consider offering that in the first place? Yeah, I, I'm not in sure. In a general sense. That is absolutely insulting. And especially when Port Adelaide, when, sorry, Richmond and, and the Giants, when Toronto went for pick 12 and 19, which would be two first rounders. And Port Adelaide if, gave if Port up Adelaide two firsts and a second for yeah. uh, Jason Ward Francis, who's played 17 games. I, I think yeah. what we've got here I, is we've got – so when you sort of think about it, the the fourths roughly well, – not exactly, but roughly cancel each other out because they're Melbourne and Geelong. You reckon they'll finish roughly in the same spot next year. I think um, I think there's something supposedly – wait, did you say that uh, – I think there might be a slight mishap actually in the dealings because I've – Recall, I was listening to Sam Power's um, interview a couple of days back, and I think it actually might be two future thirds, one tied to Melbourne. I think it's actually our future third, maybe not the future fourth as well. Okay. Sense. But look, still then, it's what it is. 
And if that's what was the case, and then maybe we might have got the final say. Well, we want the future fourth coming in just to you know have the final have the final say in that matter. But the point is, the deal's done, and I don't think it's the worst one that we've probably ever received. To be honest, um, we can probably use a lot of these picks anyhow on draft night to trade up. And people have to remember now they'll still be trading of draft picks up until draft night, and then of course there'll be additional trading of draft picks on draft night, where clubs like ourselves potentially are able to play on the desperation um, of other teams wanting to pick up said player. You know, Sydney is interested, of course, they didn't want to drop, they weren't considering dropping down their draft picks um, further back. They are looking to probably trade up. So an idea of potentially say, you know, if we got someone that they want with our pick 11, hello, 11 for 14 and 17, and we can probably push the wire and go from there because, you know, again, play on that desperation from other clubs. Now, the, the Dunkley deal, Matt, um, this is going to hurt for a little while, but do you see us coming out on top in the long term? I don't know if I, I, don't know if I see us coming out on top in, in the long term, uh, but in terms of like, are we going to be the winners of the of the trade, if that's the question that you're asking, I think this. I still think this is a fair trade. So pick 21 when you know Academy bids are matched and all that, will become a very late first, but it will become a first-round pick. We obviously get Brisbane's first-round pick next year, so this will be exciting. We're now going to we're now going to be barracking for Brisbane to finish as low mm. as possible down the ladder, yep. and we get the a official, future. The official term is we're going to death ride them. That's the official term, everyone. Death ride. Okay, I like that. Term. Pretty much. And then we get their future second as well. So I, I think we've done okay. Like I think we've done as well as we could have. Yes, we lose Dunkley, but we've got. Some really nice picks in exchange. Not super nice, but we've got some good picks. And we haven't had to give up too much the other way, a future third and, and a future fourth, through to, to quote some play manager I've heard of, probably won't be used on anyone. So uh, there's, I think we've done okay out of this one. And I'll have to check that as well because, yeah, I've got I've got different reporting that it's a future third or from um, I'm pretty sure another future, future third, third. Or, or a future fourth. Got conflicting reports there. Okay. We'll we'll look into that one, and the last one, yeah. the, or the it was actually the second last trade that was orchestrated in the in mm. the whole period. It was I'll the, give that trade a B plus. Sorry on the Dunkley B+. one. B plus. Okay, and Rory Lobb to the Bulldogs. So this one's been in the this one's been um, in the pipeline for months. I think it was as early as May that it was reported that the Bulldogs were interested in in Rory Lobb. And with just a couple of minutes correct. left in the trade period, it got done. So Rory Lobb to the Bulldogs in exchange for this year's pick 30 and a future second round pick for the Bulldogs. Mm. And the funny thing is that future second round pick now is ultimately not going to Frio anyways. It's been sent to Hawthorne along with Lloyd Meek for, uh, I was going to say for Jamara, uh, for Jaeger. <laughs> Calm down. Omira, of course. <laughs> Calm down. We're not trading Jamara anyone. No, no we're, not, we're not trading Jamara. It's, uh, no, but that's where that future second's gone anyways too. So that's off to the Hawks. Anyhow, so it doesn't matter. It's not a, It's no longer our problem, and it's not Frio's to, to use anymore. I think with this one, because we know Fremantle were interested in pick 11. Uh, they also said they were interested in Norton and Bontempelli. Uh, so I wouldn't read too much into their needs and wants. Yeah. What well, I, uh, I'm telling you in the lead-up for the trade period that Peter Bell would be post- obviously play, uh, player managing in a posture a fair bit, but Every time he's done so over the last four years, they've ended up backing down and accepting said deal or paying up 
the Jesse Hogan deal, no doubt. We are not going to be bringing him into the football club. Two days later, they pay 6 and 23 for him. You know, those types of deals. We're not trading Lockie Neal. They end up trading him anyways. Uh, we're not going to deal for Brad Hill, and they ultimately end up trading him anyways. Same thing with Rory Lock. So uh, clearly they're not uh, people of their word, unlike Sam Power, the great man. Yeah. Well, I, 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 and I think the dogs have done done well not to not to cave just to get things rolling because obviously there were a lot of deals that were hinging on the on the Dunkley deal and this was one of them, and they were trying to get it done and in the end ultimately they could have got it done without um the the Dunkley deal in terms of the they didn't need any of the picks that they gave to exactly what Power was stating Power yeah. was stating that we. Uh, trying to keep separate deals and not because uh, Freo were up to pick 21 as well. I'm thinking, well, for what do you rate him as pick 11 and what magically all of a sudden now he's bad to pick 21? Well, uh, I, I think you guys won't be fast dropping further down, wouldn't you? I think they well, I think it was that they rated him higher than pick 30, but the next pick on the rank was was 11. So naturally they had to ask for that just because they had nothing else in between. But I think Fremantle ultimately were wanting pick 21 and they were hoping that we were able to get that from Brisbane in the Dunkley deal. And then they could they could ask for first. that. Uh, the Dunkley deal got done Dunkley first. Or the Dunkley deal got done first. The Dunkley deal got done first. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, interesting. Because they definitely still they definitely still would have been asking for twenty one then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I think in the end it got to the point where there was so little time left um, that it was it was really difficult to iron out exactly what went where. Uh, I think it was pretty obvious that pick twenty one was going to be involved at some stage in the in the Dunkley trade but I think the dogs have done well to hold their ground on on this one with 30 and a, and a future second and say what you want about Rory Lobb the the player and whether we actually want whether as a supporter you want him at the club and and all this sort of stuff but I, I think in terms of the actual trade itself we've done reasonably well we haven't overpaid I think it's I think it's fair value this one 30 and a, and a future second for a guy that's coming off a career best season led Fremantle's goal kicking last year with thirty six goals. Uh, I, I think I think that's all right. I think we've done okay there. It's it's the idea of as well. We now have some. We already had legitimate tall timber, anyways, but now we don't have to say we've got legitimate developing timber. We've actually got ready made. You know, height in that sense. People, the idea of like Aaron Norton, for instance, he's one ninety four, ninety five in that sense, and. It's not that he's not brilliant. He's an amazing footballer. But to be able to have someone perhaps, not, it's not Josh Bruce, to to ease the burden on Norton as well there too. Because we know Bruce is probably at least, hopefully he's got at least another two years in him. He has one year remaining on his respective contract currently. But And there was talks about him even going to the Ds, which were absolute rubbish in all every way, shape or form. Um I imagine that would have lost three plays to the Ds, wouldn't yeah. we? Yeah, I was told Josh um, Bruce had had a medical at uh, Melbourne and he was definitely going to be there. So I'm not sure yeah, why he's still like at the Bulldogs. Heard, yeah, just like we heard Tomlinson did a medical, which was exactly not the case. <laughs> Didn't do a medical with us. Oh, yeah. That's going to be the um, next big one, the medicals. Who's done a medical? Mm, yeah, they can all speculate all they like, can't they? So just some numbers on, on Lob here that I, I've got that you might find reasonably interesting. Uh, so... Oh, I've, um, I've got it here somewhere. Let me just uh, scroll down and get it. Yeah, so as I said, 36 goals, 24 last year. He was Fremantle's leading goal kicker. He kicked goals in, in 17 of his 21 matches. He kicked multiple goals 11 times. He also 
He was also ranked first at the club for marks inside 50. He took 49 of those. I'm going to get up the the comparisons with uh, with uh, Aaron Norton um, for, for this one as well. Uh, so Norton took 51 marks inside 50 uh, compared to Lobb who took 49. And Lobb was ranked second at the club for contestant marks. He took 32 last uh, last year. Um, Aaron Norton took 42. Um, so both of uh, Lobb's numbers would have had him ranked second at the at the Bulldogs. So Norton took 51 marks inside 50, 42 contestant marks, and Lobb took 49 and 32. Uh, ahead of who, who was next with Bontempelli with 21 marks inside 50 and 20 contested marks. So there's no doubt we needed another marking option. And I don't know how confident the Bulldogs are in in, um, in Josh Bruce getting back to his best. But we spoke, yeah, we spoke at, at length. Yeah, we spoke at length we that have... Norton doing it on his own was not sustainable. And now they've got and, another and yet, option go. down there. Exactly. Exactly. Now we pick up a mature key forward ruck which we need to support for English mm-hmm. and as well as Norton in a sense. And people were still wondering, well, why are we getting him? As I've, as I alluded to you, you know, over the last you know few months, Norton, ready-made. Bruce, one year in his contract, has done a knee. We've got Jamar in his third year. We've got Sam Darcy in his second year. Where's where's the rest? Where's the options? Shaki, of course, was not going to exactly cut it. Our second ruck key forward option this year that we use at times was Zane Cordy. And people are batting their eyelids about the acquisition of Rory Lobb in that sense. It, it doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever there because at least you know we're at least going to have someone that if he has to play in the ruck, we're not going to get annihilated there because we're not going to see Karmas or Cordy or Dunkley in this case anymore, or whoever else it Hannon. is having to be that second, or Hannon having to be that second ruckman. I think you've touched and on, a, for, the, on a, for the love of Christ, that just is such a relief. I think you've touched on a couple of really good points there. So yeah, firstly the idea of of the of the backup ruck, the secondary ruck. We're now going to remain competitive when English isn't rucking, and we're not going to have to rely exactly. on some and, some makeshift and we're not option. Losing the forward power. We're not losing the forward power as well when they switch it around. If Lob is rucking, we've still got competent options up front. And the other thing is it takes the heat off Jamara and or Sam Darcy. They, they're not the second tall option now. They're the third. So I think Lob hopefully will bring goals in his own right, but he will make it easier for other players to bring goals to the table as well. The other thing that I want to sort of stress and this is not me towing the the company line or anything like that but i just think it is really important because i'm guilty of this and i know a lot of bulldogs fans have had their opinions on lob and you know some of them are all right with him coming a lot a lot of them that i've spoken to aren't necessarily his biggest fans but i think the worst thing that we can do now is write him off before he's even even kicked the football uh purely on the fact that that we don't or that you know as Bulldog fans, they, they don't want him at the club. I think whether you agree with that or not, the fact is he is a Bulldogs player now. And another thing that's also true, I think really deep down when we get to the heart of it, is that there isn't one Bulldogs player out there that we don't want to succeed. And you might be able to back me up on this, Nick. I'm, I'm not sure where you stand on this. But we've got our opinions on everyone on the list. But I think when it comes down to it, I think we want all of them to succeed and, and play well and win games and get lots of the ball and kick a bunch of goals every week. And it's not always possible, but I think we we want every player to succeed. And I, I think every Bulldogs fan you speak to will want Rory Lobb to come out and kick 40, 50 goals next year and 
challenge for the common medal and playing a premiership and all that sort of stuff. So I think, you know, for, for everything that we've said beforehand leading up to it, whether, whether we really want him or not, I think we can, I think now we've got an opportunity to say, okay, well, that was when he wasn't with us. He's with us now. So we've got a chance to sort of put that behind us and support Lob. And I think because he's on the list now, I think that's something that, that we've got to do. We've got to make sure the supporters, we give him the the encouragement and the opportunity to succeed. Hmm. No, that's a very fair point there. And that's, again, across all players on the list, we do want them to succeed because the more they succeed, the better it is for us, the better it is for them. And everyone is in a happy, happy place. You know? Yeah. With, with what Lob... Now we'll focus on that, actually. With what Lob will bring to the table and with what a couple of departures on our list, ironically, would allow us to bring to the table, or at least give us the opportunity to, to bring to the table, we can probably expect to see a bit more daring ball movement, I reckon, next season. Touch wood. Um, Lob, of course, if he plays a bit deeper, it allows Norton now to not have to pass the ball to himself inside 50. So... It means we can get an actual contested marking option down the wing and still retain that element of potency up front where we're able to potentially, say, bring the ball to ground or better yet, take a contested mark inside 50 there. That element of ball movement now will allow us to, to be a bit more freer and be a bit more direct with how we play. We will probably be able to play... Well, I would, this is my expectations to play less chippy chippy, maybe less handballing across from the packs and be able to play those more 25 to 35 meter kicks further down the ground. And then on occasions, if we need to, you know, to pull the trigger and get that bailout option, we'll be able to just launch it straight down the line, even from defensive 50 there too. And with what we can do, it allows us the opportunity to, to put pressure on sides in that manner. Now, having a lot of tall timber now gives us a lot of potency and a lot of strength and the capacity to be able to play a different brand of football, one that we haven't been able to, to have for probably, oh, geez, I don't know. When's the last time you've probably been able to see us play a very fast brand of footy that involved a number of potent talls, Matt? Has you it know, ever been the case for you us know generally? What? You know what, Nick? I don't. I don't. Well, I tell you what. Uh, round 12, 2012, with that uh, trio of, of tall halls of Jones, Cordy, and Rufford, that was that was captivating. That that, that was something and a half. Imagine <laughs> how good that forward line is going to be. Oh, jeez. One turned into a fullback. One turned into a fullback. <laughs> the other turned into a Vapa Ruckman. <laughs> Indeed, our oh, premiership winning Ruckman. Premiership winning Ruckman. To be to be fair, yeah. Um, but in in ser- in all seriousness, I don't think I've ever seen it. Yeah, no, neither can I. I'm genuinely trying to find that out. But same thing, too, with Hunter, as good as he was in a defensive aspect. I've always said to you, too, we needed an attacking wingman as well to at least be paired up with him. And the idea that you would see Hunter have a lot of those, this is not because now he's disappeared from us that magically we start to point at all his flaws because those flaws were there. Yeah, they were, they were yeah. And, and, you know, the slow ball movements, the stop stagnant, approach the handball backwards for the overlap there instead of looking for the next option. The kicking for sideways goal. Kicks, the kicking for goal, unless he was in that particular pocket at, at Marvel Stadium. Um, 
same thing too, technically, with Dunkley in that sense. And now it frees up again the opportunities on those on the wing and for a burst mid to be featured back inside the centre square. I mean, we do lose a lot of defensive aspects from Dunkley too because he is definitely in the one of the best defensive mids going around across the competition. So we've got to be a bit careful on how we uh, try not to overcommit in the in the in the centre square when competing at stoppages. Oh, don't worry, we're we're very good at overcommitting in the at the yeah, centre yes, square we are. stoppages. Getting, yep. Yep, the, what what does Beveridge call it? The the phone box on the TARDIS or something like that. And we have to work that out. But at least here now, we might be able to play some more freewheeling types, be it in the centre square and be it on the wing, which allows, again, for that faster ball movement and, and transition. We have never been a great side at moving the ball from defensive 50 to forward 50 in, in, you know, in a flash. Usually it takes us maybe, I don't know, four or five, probably six attempts to go from end to end in that in that one hit, whereas other teams are able to do so sometimes better better than one and three against us. And that's exactly yeah. what Freo was, which cost us in that uh, other things, but as well in that particular elimination final where, they're the, where they were the best side of the competition at defending said defensive to forward half transition, and we were the worst side at defending it. So having right. this particular these players in place or spots now open up on the ground, it gives us like a whole new can of worms, a different kettle of fish for us to to consider about implementing this much needed different version of a game style. Doesn't mean we're drifting away from what happens, but it might be a more expansive version of it. And then even doing so too, if it allows us to be more confident with ball in hand moving up forward, it might mean we might be more confident in a defensive aspect down back where we don't need to play exceptionally high up the ground because we're going to be backing ourselves to be able to win the ball properly, which means we don't have to play this blinking zone. I think the it's first... A, it's, a, it's a snowball effect. I think the first point you made was was the best. I, I remember the, the game we played against Port Adelaide this year where Norton would mark it at half forward he'd have to chip it short to someone who'd have to then wait for Norton to get back inside 50 so that they could kick the ball to him again. Uh, that was, uh, that, that was, that was, well, that was under, under 14 stuff. That's just waiting for the, for the best player in the team to get into the position where you can kick it to him. It's just the plan A is just pass it to the best player all the time. That was some diabolical football, um, uh, football tactics with that. Uh, if Lob is down there this time, then we don't have to do that. We could just get it in there straight away. And I think, yeah, and I think having an experienced player helps. And look, if he kicks 36 goals next year, that's a, that's a huge tick. Because that's what we were lacking. We were lacking that bloke that can kick 40 goals. And if Lob gets the best part of that, that'll make a huge difference. You add 40 goals to the, the list. Makes a huge difference. And, I, and I, I've said too. to you, I've said to you, Norton and Jamara would... We'll both kick fifty goals next year. That's my prediction. Be, I think there's that'd be well, really good. No, I think I think with with another player down there who sure may take a few goals off them, but also you know divide attention amongst the opposition defenders. I think there's every chance that Norton and and Jamara could could do. I tell you what, if those two mm. kick fifty goals and Lob kick thirty six, I mean, I mean that'd be some forward line. If mm. I were to ask you though, Nick, to give me in terms of talls. Give me the three tall forwards and the three tall backs that you want in round one next year, assuming all this fit and fair in the world. Who who would you be your three and three? Norton Sonar forward, 
lob full forward, Jamara as the third. If Bruce is right to go, we move lob to the pocket and Jamara in the VFL, which is a bit sacrilegious, but we will see how Bruce goes. Ideally, first up, I'd be playing the three most experienced players, which is Norton, Lob, and Bruce to okay. start up and then see what happens with Bruce after a month or six weeks or whatever it is. And hopefully he goes well. So does this hopefully mean that, well. does this mean that we, we then look to trade Jamara if he's not playing for one week in the seniors? Yeah, uh, for a, a salary dump and uh, for a future fourth round pick, I reckon. <laughs> right there. We might have to tie, we might have to do, because it is a salary dump, we might have to take a leaf out of Gold Coast book and attach our future first round pick to the deal just to get it done. I reckon. Okay. Um, and and the three key backs, I think this one will be well, they'll both be interesting, but I'm really intrigued to see who your three are here. I mean, I still am hopeful of. I'm still obviously we're going to put Jones at full back. I would like to see Keith return to what he is capable of, and he might actually do so now, seeing as there's some one on one support. So that's a centre half back. My third tall position is still up for debate, to be honest. And the name Darcy keeps coming into into it for me. And I'm just wondering whether I back the scope of Darcy against, you know, the defensive elements of Gardner. What do I want to see more? Maybe Gardner goes at centre back and then Keith becomes that interceptor top, perhaps. Maybe that's the way to go. It's still going to be the, the mix of those four players. I'm just still trying to work out it depends on the position yeah. they are, but I know that definitely Jones is the full back, and I don't care anything else about that. But the centre half back and the third tall positions are, can be rotated around. I'd still say I'd still like to stick with Keith and Gardner, but if Darcy is to come in, it would be to see him play as the centre back with Keith moving to the interceptor role. Those two young talls are really throwing spanners in the works, aren't they? Jamara at one end and Darcy yeah. at the other. If it's they Jamara weren't there, the, the three would be the three would be well set, but they are there and they're very talented, despite how young and they, they are. And, and, no, and, and notice this too: none of those defenders are undersized. No, you don't have to worry about you know battling a Bailey Williams back having to yeah anymore. play on Josh Kennedy anymore. Oh, it's oh, Kennedy. <laughs> oh, bless him, but he used to destroy us all. He destroyed everyone, but oh, yeah. you pick him, you know, pin him down for four at least each week when he played us. So that's a bit about how the new players are going to fit in, the players coming in. But there are some other players that have left the club as well or won't be at the club next year in, in addition to those that we've already mentioned. So we've already gone over Dunkley, Shacky, and Hunter. Uh, we now know that there's four others that won't be at the club next year. So we see the news has come through that Mitch Wallace hasn't been offered a, a new deal uh, for the Bulldogs, uh, nor has Lewis Butler and Charlie Parker. And Stefan Martin, after 15 years in the system, has, has decided to retire. So I think there's a raft of openings on the list, a host of players leaving. I think that's eight, if I've got that correct. Yes, um, that is uh, that is correct there. We've got uh, seven primary list spots, followed up, of course, by one rookie selection in that sense. Now, what have you mentioned that we've got, we've generally had, what, 38 plus four plus one cat B and another category player or something along those lines, haven't we? Yeah. I'd have to, I'd have to, uh, have to go back through it. Um, yeah, but, so uh, at this point it's uh it's seven and uh, seven and one. That is uh, primary and rookie spots. Of course, though, we have um, two players coming in, of course, in, in Liam Jones and Rory Bob, and they will 
uh, take up again to primary list spots in that sense. So technically, we've got uh, six positions left, five primary, one rookie at this point in time. So it's going to be a really busy off-season. I've got to be mm. honest, The um, to, do any of those surprise you? Of the, of the four players that have, that have left, out of these four that haven't been offered a new deal, are there any that really surprise you? Well, look, personally, I think we would have been intrigued to have seen how Charlie Parker might have gone, personally, um, with how his particular season had been a bit injury riddled and we would have, you know, would have liked to have seen what he could have offered a bit more, perhaps had a, had a not bad back half at the end of the, the VFL season there. But was an interesting one because he started off pretty impressively in early 2020. Well, he was the, he was the first of the 2019 draftees. He was the first of the 2019 draftees to play ahead of Garcia and Waitman. He, Mm -hmm. he was first. Indeed. It's just had again some decent form the VFL, but unfortunately, just wasn't able. Not that he had a lot of opportunities in the AFL system at all, but wasn't able to transfer those particular attributes across. I would have thought perhaps maybe they, well, on a general note, I wouldn't have given him a contract, but I would have been interested to see if they did. It would have been off the back of the attributes of a bit of pace that he might have had around the outside, which is something that we have or that we do lack at this point in time, still on the list. So that would have, might have been his saving grace. But uh, unfortunately for him, that's uh, not, not the case, isn't it? Well, I think this is the this is the negative consequence that, that, that comes with having the raft of midfielders slash halfback flankers that we have, that we have a lot of them. And we shoehorn a lot of them in the side, but there's still a couple that, that aren't going to make it. And I think that's something that the Butler's struggled with greatly, particularly over the last couple of years. He got a, a brief taste of things in, he, in his first year for a couple of games, and and I thought, I thought his first game he was very good against Sydney. And he yes, played yes, one he game as a as a medical sub against Melbourne last year, where he did come on for another uh, twenty nineteen draft in Garcia. And he played one game this year uh, against Richmond, uh, and I think there were just too many ahead of him in the, in the queue, and there were too many of his type already in the side. I think that was I think that was his problem. And not that it's not that it's his problem, but I think that's, I think that was to his, uh, I think that that stacked up against him in the end, counted against him when when all was said and done. That there were so many ahead of him in the queue, that he'd need a lot to go right just to get a look in, let alone a sustained run. Exactly right. We factor in with the departures on the list that we've had. Of course, rolling off, we've got Josh Dunkley. His departure, no doubt, hurts in a best twenty-two cents. Lockie Hunter, his departure hurts, but we haven't seen the best of him for quite some time, he, unfortunately. He, the departure of Lockie Hunter's best hurts. The departure of Lockie Hunter yes. over the last two seasons. And I know you I know you've defended his, his 2021 form. I I could see that it wasn't spectacular. It, was, it wasn't spectacular, but it was important enough to be able to feature in 25 matches. Yeah. And the only one he missed was because of injury. Yeah, I, I, Indeed. I've seen a decline in him the last twenty four months. So he's he's best. I'm I'm not. I'm, well, yeah, his best is a loss, but the Lockie Hunter of the past two years is not a, a huge loss. No, does, we then does, factor in, of course, a couple of other names too. One that we haven't yet uh, discussed is uh, Wallace. I, I assume that's where I was going next. Does, does his does the decision not to give him a new deal surprise you? 
it does seem is the fact that uh, supposedly there was a deal on offer or thought to have been on offer. That seemed to have been the consensus, wasn't it? Yeah, that's, um, that's, in that yeah. interview that he had. Which is a bit interesting. I, I've, I'm, I'm, sure. I'm, I'm, I'm really upset about his departure, actually. I, I thought with Dunkley gone, that sort of spot as the inside midfielder, that was his. Like there was a, there was a, there was an opportunity to, to fit back into that midfield, a, a ready-made, experienced body, rather than throwing someone like O'Reilly West in there straight away. Which you know, while tempting, um, I feel like the, I feel like you could sort of let soften the blow of of losing Dunkley, a little bit, and rather than go from one sort of extreme to to another, just try and someone just try and have someone in there for a season or two to try and bridge that gap. Or sort of help with the transition phase. Mm. But I know what you mean there in that sense too, Matt, regarding for Wallace to potentially have and you know, filled that void. We were a few midfielders down last year at well, I'm talking the twenty one season. And yet they didn't call upon them, didn't they? No. Trelaw out at the time, Dunkley out at the time, Lipinski wasn't brought back, um, or sparingly used. West wasn't uh, used. West wasn't West wasn't called in as well at that point in time. Strong was injured, so and he's a he's a player hard. that they love to bring in when when he was fit. Indeed, if he didn't play much, yeah, it's it's really sad actually that, that Wallace won't be there. I think you got it's, it's almost impossible to not though. But um, look, try to remove the sentiment side of things, the sentimental aspects that is. And the fact that he was a father-son in that sense. He's been able to play 162 games. Mm-hmm. and He's been a good footballer. He's been a very, very good... It sounds a bit disrespectful in the sense, but he's been a very, very good foot soldier. Well, that's ultimately what he's become, unfortunately, due, due to certain uh, circumstances in his footballing career that have pushed him down the pecking order and it's made it hard for him to, you know, to make up ground in that sense. I just wonder, though, that well, I that, that, that I understand. That only leaves Libba. That only leaves Libba now as the sole survivor of the, uh, for us anyways, of the 2010 draft. I don't think we've got anyone from the 2011 draft. We've got one person, sorry, one player from the 2012 draft. We've got one footballer from the 2013 draft. Uh, do we have anyone from the 2014 draft? We've got Daniel Dale and McLean, I think. Yes. The 2015 draft. No one. I can't even remember who they. Yeah, that's it. That's Dunkley, it. That's Collins, Adams. Unless there's someone yep. really late on that I'm missing, which is you know. Yeah, that's probably that's one thing which is possible. I am be missing too, but it's a bit interesting there that there's there's this large gap again, isn't it? Which is a bit of a concern, I think, for the club to to have to try to work out. I reckon. But well, not, uh, touch wood. Nothing screams changing of the guard for me more than this. Numbers three, five, seven, eight. 12, 13, 18, 25, all unoccupied. Yep. In terms of Guernsey numbers. That's a lot of really, really good numbers. Do you see the number three being occupied next season? I was having a, a conversation with a with a very good um, Bulldogs fan about this. And they oh, Bailey Williams. That's who it is. That's who's <laughs> left from the 2015 draft. Oh, I, uh, yes, yes, that's right. 
That's it. Um, Bailey Williams, and it's only Tim English from the 2016 draft. Oh, beautiful. Uh, so, and this person I'm speaking to sort of said to me that the number three they believe is, should be reserved for key position types uh, and not necessarily new recruits. Now, as I, now, as I said, it depends on what you define as a new recruit because Wallace was a new recruit, albeit there was strong family heritage there, but a new recruit. Uh, yeah, I, I wonder about that. Maybe it's a bit too early. Maybe we won't wait. We need to see who comes in through the draft before we start allocating that because Jed Bussinger is a, is a key position player. Um, and I wouldn't mind him roaming the background, uh, the back line for the next decade or, or so. Uh, but all, all in good time, we'll, we'll get to, to those conversations. There's a lot to weigh up. Like there's a there's some big numbers worn by some some very very famous um, bulldog icons. The number three, the number five, the number seven, all very very famous numbers in their own right. Twelve and thirteen have been worn by some very good players. So has it? It's a lot of departing numbers, isn't it? How's this? How's this for a theory? Massive overhaul. How's this for a theory though? How's this for a theory? Sam Darcy. Oh, sorry, sorry. Riley West takes the number seven. Sam Darcy takes the number fourteen. Yes, indeed. Yes, with how many play? Of- how many players do you reckon have taken a number downgrade in their career? Though it's not, it's not something that would happen too often. No, it would not. But personally, I'm not too fussed if they stay as they are. I'm not too fussed at all. I mean, there's the the father son bromance aspect of it, but uh, these these gentlemen are their own. You know, they're living their own lives and they're forging their own careers. And it's different too. I mean, they're still in the infancy of it as well. So they're not having the weight and expectations of it because admittedly, you know, their names are famous within our club, but to an extent, they're not what you would still say are AFL folklore, which is a bit strange considering West's name in West. that sense too. But yes, West is up there, but I still think in a different sense, it's not like to the magnitude of, you know, Clearly, it's not the magnitude of like, you know, for instance, when, what would Gary Ablett do? Would he take his father's number? Would he not? You know, that type of stuff. Yeah. There okay, was a yeah. lot more expectation pressed on on Ablett Jr. than in the case of, say, Riley West in that sense. Ablett's name, the junior uh, commodity that is, um, there was a lot of hype externally across the competition, probably more so than West, which is more internal. It has in already sense. happened. It has already happened once in fairness with Isabella. But if a grant came into the system for the for the Bulldogs men's side, would that would that sort of uh, speculation um, come to pass? Let's just say hypothetically, there's a grant in in the in the draft as a father's son. And the number three is now vacant. Do you do you reckon Chris Grant falls into that category? That would be very interesting to see, though, wouldn't it? Hmm. I I wonder because like I say, it has already happened once. Um, in the in the women's side, but I, I imagine it would be different if 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 Grant's son not not sure not not that I'm sure he has one. We're just speaking hypothetically here. Uh, we'll find whether, out in due course. Whether whether a Grant is of that folklore lineage that you refer to. Yes, I wonder. Look, and that's, not if, just, that's a bit disrespectful to West, probably in my regard. There, I reckon. But seven-time best and fairest. When, For us, yes, it's an amazing. They could almost creation. name the award after. I him. just wish he had. I just wish he had a bit more accolades in a different sense. Uh, he could very easily have had a Brownlow. He should have at least had one. Yep, possibly two thousand or two thousand and six. But that said, 
2005, he only lost by three votes as well. Yeah, that one that one probably triggered me a fair bit, actually. Uh, he won 17 Bradley votes in 2005. Mm-hmm. I think Ben Cousins won it with 20 votes. Can you imagine that yep, now? Daniel Anyone winning it with Sando, 20 votes? Daniel Kerr then. Yeah, the votes seem to be a lot. Midfielders seem to be... They hog them, Nick. Harder judged back then, didn't they? Yeah. I reckon. And then the one now we haven't mentioned... We did say the number eight is vacant because Stefan Martin retired, which Indeed. I don't know. I felt like this was supposed to be the world's worst kept secret that he would eventually retire, but they kept him for a long time. Well, they kept him waiting for a while. I thought this was, I thought this was a, was a fate complete. Well, there were definitely Bulldog supporters, including myself, who would think maybe, but surely not, but maybe. Uh. But he has, he has retired 203 games. 13 of them with the Bulldogs, but I'd say he had, a, he had a significant impact. He's one of only a select oh. few Bulldogs to have played in a in a grand final. He played his 200th game with us. Look, people will say he did nothing for us. To an extent, I'd say he had a fair impact, at least on English's development this season. Doesn't mean English is becoming you know, all of a sudden a, you know, a giant of the game in the ruck sense. He's still got a long way to go, to be honest, by, by uh, yours and my definitions here. Think Matt, but um, look, it was good to have him, and it was a risk well worth taking. Could you afford to burn a list spot on a ruckman? Yes, we could, because by Christ, we needed one, didn't we? Maybe and we unfortunately, it didn't pay off in that sense to what we were hoping. But the opportunity was that it almost did at the same time too. You know, no one would be saying the deals will fail if last year goes the way we would have hoped. No one says the deals will fail then. Because even in general sense, it can't be. You know, what we do? We trade pick 63 with uh, four Martin and Lockie Young or something along those lines in that sense. You know, it's fourth round selections. It doesn't really have anything in, the, in, that, in, in that aspect there where there's no nothing to worry about. So, yeah, well worth the risk. Uh, fantastic stuff to at least have him for a couple of seasons. If only we were able to uh, acquire him at the back end uh, of the 2015 <laughs> or 2017 seasons, that would have been incredible had that been the case. But uh, again, not to be. No doubt. And no, let's be honest, we were only 40 minutes away from it being a, a total masterstroke, really, when you think about it. Indeed, they have to a, break the glass uh, almost. A, a 35-year-old just couldn't quite get us there. Uh, but no, he has retired. It's a, a wonderful career, especially for someone who, who started so late. It, uh, to be honest, I'm, it will be a shame to, um, for those, uh, it'll be a shame to not be able to see those players next year. But as I say, there's a there's a changing of the guard now with all of these all of these numbers being vacated. All these players that we've known for for a long time and we've fallen in love with I've the way that they've played the game to to no longer be with us. We were talking about number changes. I thought we'll tap a lot, but just just to state, yeah. who did Mitch Wallace? take under the wing when they debuted a couple of years ago. Oh, Nick. Oh, yes. he, he, he took Cody Waitman under the wing, I think. Indeed he did. Indeed he did. Could you see Waitman wearing number three? To be honest, visually, no, I can't. I'm just speculating. <laughs> though. Visually, I just cannot. <laughs> to me, it just doesn't make sense. But in, the, in, a, in, a, in a footballing, you know, romance, you know, all that rigmarole, it would be a nice touch. 
personally, though, I can't see that. But in, in a general sense, it would actually be a nice. It would touch, be. I think, yeah, no, it would be because that no, that's been a well. Wallace was the one who who told Wayman that he was going to make his debut, and then it's no secret that um that they've been mentors, and they 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 played in Waitman's first game together back in twenty twenty, the year that Wallace was the leading goal kicker. I tell you what, one thing that I, I can't get my head around is how Wallace never played in a winning final at the Bulldogs. I find that so hard to believe. Played in two losing ones. You missed out in 2016. You didn't play in any of the 2021 finals. Yep, missed out on the, well, not that, not that we won these ones, but yep, missed out on the 2019 uh, elimination yep, final as well. well there, as did Liber and Daniel and JJ and whoever else, everyone else, bloody, sorry, excuse me, you missed out on that particular final. Uh, we had a fair few blokes out that day, despite going in with some strong form, didn't we? Did. Jeez. But uh, with oh, all these... Whatever happens. Well, with all these uh, these number vacancies, it means there's going to be a lot of players coming in, Leek. And that is a good segue into the fan Q&A because our first question from Jez at JezDog78. What type of player do you think we need the most with our first two picks in the draft? A crumbing forward with good finishing, a quick outside mid slash wing, or medium slash lockdown defender that could play on the fridge slash camera types. Um, now, no mention of, of delisted free agency there, but Bulldogs target James Rowe has been delisted by Adelaide, uh, which I, I found very interesting because he's played free agent. He's played 36 out of the last 44 games for Adelaide. Now, he's been a regular in their side. The fact that they didn't even give him a new deal. Now, yeah, I know Isaac Rankin came in and all that, but I, I surely you wouldn't even keep him around just, just as insurance for a year. Like I just I found agree. that very Especially odd. Like, what if, what if, what happens if Rankin gets injured? Like, surely James Rowe would be the next in. Mm. Shane McAdam for them hasn't really come on, and he's like twenty. He's twenty-seven, I think, as well. And they picked him up in the original. Oh, jeez, what was it? I think he was picked up by Carlton for those additional supplementary picks, like the Gold Coast got. You know, for uh, Josh Corbett and Chris Burgess and all that, and uh, Sam Collins as well. Um, and they obviously traded McAdam along with some draft picks for Mitch McGovern for him. I think it was. Uh, I wonder, though. Having said that. Again, the James Rowe thing is only purely down to list spots. Do we have a list spot available? Yes. The more we delist, the more it frees up, obviously. Well, you said sense. we needed that, that extra that extra, there's that extra. There's spot for that extra extra Under player there. that we've got to fill. James Four Rowe is there. Two in currently. If we recontract two more, that means we're on par. If we lose two more, we're back to negative two. We're just still one spot short. James Rowe. Unless, how the hell that's going to work? Mm. Hang on. So we got it. So so we're 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 uh, we've got a net loss of two at the moment in terms of players. We might need to. That's what I'm saying. We might need to lose a third. That's where the Wallace or Parker debate comes in, doesn't it? Hmm. I suppose there'll be one we'll have to to, to look at because I've I've not done the math on it, and this time of year it just gets really complicated. Like yeah. who's a who's a rookie, who's who's not. Wait, one and, second, and am I doing the right things? Four I out already. I don't know. Yeah, four out. Yeah. Yep. Two in. Add three draft these takes us to five. I I did this in the last episode, but I, I don't actually, have yeah, the. Uh... Two more. No, no, no. We're fine. We're fine. Actually, we actually be fine because right now four out. Two in, add three draft these takes it to five. That's a minus one. And then add two further delistees on top of that takes it to six, which leaves one free list spot for a delisted free agent. James Rowe. Or, 
there you go. There you go. So that makes it 6v6 in the oh, end. Beautiful. That worked out. But the numbers well, work out. Finally, the accountant did his job. Oh, we'd be excellent list managers. Uh, let's have a look here. Uh, okay, so here's one from Mitch Winder, regular. What opportunities do you see presenting themselves for our young players and fresh draftees next year? For example, could we see Arthur Jones come in and make an impact? I would be all for Arthur Jones getting an opportunity. Crafty small forward just needs to be a little bit more productive with what he does. Because he does tend to make an impact with what when he has ball in hand. Maybe just, a, just yeah, more, maybe just needs a little him more of the ball. We just need to get him the ball a bit more. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily say productive is the right word because when he does get the ball, he's very productive. Things happen when Arthur Jones has ball Things in hand. Things do. We just need more of it to happen. Yes. That's just, the thing. Yeah. More productivity here. That's all we need from him. Is there anyone else that I see leaping off the page next year and, and just sort of taking us by surprise? Got to go through the list, I think, uh, with with this. Mm. I wonder. I'll have a quick, uh, quick squiz. I reckon too. I'm, here, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it as as well. Mm. I suppose um, one that I am really intrigued, who I don't think got enough of an opportunity. Well, maybe did get enough of an opportunity, but we got to see what he can do. I'm really looking forward to see what Luke Cleary gives us next year. Because that is yes, that is that is a forgotten one, name, and the two games he played, he looked really good. Hmm. We're not talking all name. Australians, but like we took for a guy who was in his second game, he looked really comfortable at the level. We were very pleased with what he was actually able to display yeah. in that Collingwood game. We were very very happy with that. I've got uh, another two other names that I will throw up here: Riley Garcia, Sunny, and the second name. I'm just debating to throw which particular name I want to put in. I'm still a... Oh, screw it. Let's go. Bend it like Bedendo. Oh, That is yes. what we'll do. Bend it like Bedendo. There's our other you know, half-forward wing option. Again, very much in that McLean aspect without probably midfield uh, capacity at this stage, perhaps. Um, I mean, the other the other name I was intending on throwing up would have been uh, Buku Kamas, which we were very intrigued to see how he would go next year certain defensive structures as that's a, you know, fourth tall intercept if they want to just play um, in, in a lot more defensive now because we still need that lockdown defender too. It doesn't necessarily mean they have to be a small lockdown defender. They can be a medium. And if they've got the versatility to to be able to, to play on a range of opponents, well, that, that fixes that, doesn't it? Yeah, I, yeah, I, and I think that was something that uh, that Jez mentioned earlier that we might need one of those. And, and I, I am inclined to agree. I think when I did my uh, when I, I did my article on on the five areas that we need to Im- or we need to improve during the during the off season, I can't remember whether lockdown defenders was one of them. It might have been defensive setup, um, but probably no, it, it definitely be. because think... we saw how much we struggled when Jurey wasn't in the side. <laughs> that was a, that was a big it was, a, lot, it, it was a big a vacancy organized when he's there. We were an absolute mess defensively in twenty twenty. He already made us look quite well there. 2019, same thing. 2021, we saw how good he actually was. And we just breathed a sigh of relief because we weren't getting destroyed by small forwards. So a couple of people, David is one, and I think, is it, I've got it here, uh, James is, is another. Um, I've sort of made mention of the fact that we've given away, we've brought in Jones and Lobb, obviously, we've given away a few players. Can we succeed next season? Now, you seem to think, Nick, that 
for the first time in a while, and correct me if I'm wrong, we've actually got a side that structurally has it together. Yep, which allows for different level, which should allow for different levels of more confident ball movement. Because if you're saying certain, you know, tall timbers down the line, you'll be thinking, well, let's, you know, let's get it in and go for it. But then it comes down to having the right amount of smalls at ground level to be able to capitalize on those crumbs. I wonder. It's finally the first time we've actually probably got a structure that says, hmm, compare the pair, our ruck and so our ruck division combination. It's not exactly, you know, on par now technically with the, with Melbourne's, you know, Gorn and Grundy. But it's definitely on par with Geelong's. It's definitely on par with Richmond's. It's definitely on par with Brisbane's. It's probably on par or more so on par than Sydney's. So at least that's something we can say we're ahead of the curve in, in terms of sides that should be pushing for the eight, as well as Frio's and, and Carlton's there, of course, too, and Collingwood's. So we've picked up a very, very handy ruck forward in Rory Lobb there, and that changes a lot of things with our team. Midfield-wise, yes, we might take a little hit there, but we've still got different elements of having a very deep midfield, at least five or six, nonetheless. Just even That's even inclusive of the departures of Dunkley and Hunter, anyhow. All right. Um, yep. Other teams might have now perhaps maybe, say, a better top three again. That's still their four, five, and sixes. Shouldn't be able to contend with what we still have to offer there. So we've still got that going for us. And defensively now, we have a key defender that allows us to, again, in, a, in an underrated sense, at least puts us in, in the scheme to be able to compete with the likes of Melbourne and then Geelong and, again, Richmond and whatnot. Okay, Now, obviously, Jones, Keith and Gardner slash Darcy aren't exactly Stephen May and Jake Lever, but they don't have to be. They don't have to be... No you know, highly, immensely rated in, in that sense or forked out a fortune to, to acquire them. Key forwards are one thing, okay? Generally, the great key forwards, of course, generally always come from the early stages of the draft. You don't generally tend to see forwards in this day and age succeed, key forwards that succeed greater than beyond the second round. If they do, it's because they somehow slip. Key defenders or defensive aspects and players, you can still pick them up from around the draft. We've seen Geelong's one, you know, Mark Blitzhaus was a rookie draft. Colin Jasny was a bit later in the draft. Zach Tui was, what, pick 40 for Carlton or something like that. Who else is there? Um, I've gone blank on some other names, but there's, there's other prospects that you see. Sydney's back line. Tom McCartan and Paddy McCartan, they listed free agents and a, and a back end. Jake Lloyd, a rookie. You know, it's only Callum Mills. That's actually an early first-round draft, but you can still succeed in that sense with a makeshift defence if the systems are right in place. But having the personnel that allows you to be able to execute those styles that you want to implement, that gives you the chance to succeed. Okay, games aren't won on paper. And although we've copped a bit of a... Unless it's not how say, bit of a hammering in different senses here with us with personnel departing, it ironically looks like the side appears to be a touch more balanced, not just structurally, but across the ground. There's opportunities ablaze for other players to now be able to, to make certain spots, aka the wings, their own. And again, allow for this level of, of different ball movement. That, that could take us to that next level. We saw Geelong overhaul their game style a little bit there, didn't they? Hmm. From the 2021 to 2022. It can be done. 
I've got uh, got two two more questions here, so we'll we'll try and fire through the one from Daniel Cosson. Who goes back between Bruce or Norton? Now, Bruce's uh, manager, uh, Ben Williams, I think his name was, uh, alluded to the fact that Bruce might play back next season. And, and Norton was originally drafted as, as a backman. Uh, obviously, kicked 51 goals last year. But you have to make a choice which one is going to play in the back line. Which one would you go for? Well, Bruce hasn't played down back in about 10 years. But... And was the and, and was the reason he was traded from the Giants to the Saints to begin with because he wasn't really Indeed. succeeding as a backman, and then the Indeed. Saints and they were, and they struggled. were very well set on Patton, Cameron, and Boyd, weren't they at the time? Yeah, and then Bruce really struggled in the backline with the Saints, and then they threw him forward as a yeah, well, because why not? And then overnight, just turned into a success. Fifty goals yeah. in his first season as a forward. I think about I think and if you had to pick between one of them, I think it'd be Norton. I can't see Bruce playing down back. I just can't. He's got a lot of running power, which unfortunately we weren't able to see a lot of this year due to the particular injury. But he's a very, very hard-working defender. And he's one that would actually add a point of difference down back. I'm not saying Norton wouldn't, but our forward line would be worse for wear if he wasn't there. Because we don't have someone in the team up front that could play the centre-forward role to be that link man between the defensive and forward 50 arcs if they're playing up the ground. I'm not expecting Bruce to be the contested marking option down the wing. I'm not expecting... That's another thing too, though. It could be Rory Lobb because he actually generally plays a lot of game time. He generally plays at least 96 97% of a match, which does, again, help with the you know that ruck aspect for the second ruck role. Or if he has to play higher up the ground too, which allows us to keep certain options deeper. Look, I still think Bruce is probably more the break the glass case because he is a very powerful runner in that sense too. And he's probably got the better strength of one-on-one capabilities, more so than Norton. I mean, as good as a contested Mark Norton is, it's ironically you can take contested marks in a pack of six, but when it comes to one-on-one stuff, he looks a bit worse for wear, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah. I've, got, I've, saved, I've saved here the best for last, Nick. Best for last. A lot of this questions. Is ex- this, but, uh, this, this is an exclusive. We, we couldn't not answer this one. So Western Bulldog CEO Amit Baines has asked us, I uh, kid you not, what do you boys think in the end? Or what did you boys think in the end mm-hmm. in terms of, oh, in terms hello, of the Amit. trade period? Hello, Amit. Thank you How for your it? question, yes, Amit. Hello. Yes, well, that... we, uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful opportunity we had to discuss with you. Um, at the Charles Sutton Medal, of course, at the at the end of the night. Um, fantastic stuff, I must admit. Uh, what, what do we think, uh, Matt, at this point in time after the, the wonderful world that is trade period? I think we've done reasonably well. Well, overall, like it's not it's not an A or an A plus. It's probably around the B range. And I, but I think yeah. as well, given given um, the situation we were in, where a, a star player wanted to leave, and would have walked for, for nothing if you know we weren't able to get a trade done. I think to get two first rounders and a, and a second round for him, I think to get in lob for a reasonably priced deal, uh, and, I, and I think to free up some list space with it. It is a shame to lose Hunter and and Shacky, hmm. but I think it we've is. done reasonably Hunter, well, Hunter all things considered. Didn't play a lot this year, did he? No, oh, and nor did Shacky, to be honest. Clip. There's a clear upgrade, as much as we are big fans of Shaq too, there was a clear upgrade. We didn't even touch on Zane Cordy too as well, of course, taking up that three-year deal with the Saints there. And well, you can't begrudge him in that sense. You cannot begrudge him at all. But with this here, clear upgrade, 
Lobb and Jones against Shaq and Cordy. It's depth versus AFL ready-made talent. I think you've got to give it to a B plus in that case for me, yeah. still sense, despite what's happened. Yeah, no, I think that I think he's done a reasonable job, all, all things considered. Thank you for our uh, power. Thank you for for your question to me. Thank you to everyone who sent through their question. It's wonderful to have such support from uh, from people far and wide regarding the the salty ball, like sending through your questions. I think that's just about going to be it for us this week, though. Uh, we probably are going to have a bit of a spell given there's a fair distance to go between now and the draft. We will let you know uh, when our next episode will be. So make sure to uh, follow the Salty Bulldog on Twitter, subscribe to the Salty Bulldog podcast on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Nick Galea, thank you for your time. Always a pleasure, Matt. Uh, Goodbye to everyone. Thank you to our listeners, wherever you've been tuning in around the world. I've been Matthew Donald. We look forward to having you